Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And this week, it's a Womp Womp Wednesday. Our first official Womp Womp Wednesday of what we think uh, will be many this season. About 11 <laughs> of them. Uh, and But ups- upside, the Better Rivals drinking game did not kill anybody this week. That's great for us. I feel like that's really good news. I don't know what sort of liability is there. Uh, hopefully none. 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 But, none you know, it still it wouldn't be a good look. You I, know? I know a couple lawyers. That's enough. We're all right. Uh, and enough. and three, thank the injury gods that Reuben Foster's ankle injury is not more severe. And that's going to be the opening story here in the rundown, which is the top segment. Reuben Foster does indeed have a high ankle sprain, and that means he's going to be out at minimum four to six weeks. This is a little different than the normal ankle sprain and a little bit more severe. It's the ligament that holds the, like, the kind of tibia and fibula there at the base of the ankle. And long story short, if he rushes it back, he could risk uh, like basically dislocating his tibia or his fibula or something like that. And that's not good. That sounds painful. Um, yeah, that sounds terrible. I dislocating, I don't know why. I don't know if this is actually, like it feels like dislocating would be far more painful than breaking. Yeah, right? it, it does. Is, is that like an actual thing? Is that true? I've never dislocated anything. So I've, uh, no, I've broken a collarbone and I've never dislocated anything. So yeah, we're I operating. I want to keep it that way. We're flying yeah. blind here. Yeah. Yeah, so. good with that. This is good. Uh, what's good is that it wasn't more severe. You're not talking about a break where you're dealing with blood flow to the ankle. You're not dealing with you know super something that's super duper severe. All things considered, it looked worse than it was, especially considering he was carted off. But the question I've got for you, David, is really at what point do you think? Because like Foster's like, yeah, I'll, I'm playing next week. No, bro. <laughs> no, uh, I, I think I mean, because there's there's like an increased risk of further injury, right? That this thing could get worse. Um, I, I think you have to play it safe, right? This isn't this isn't the year that we drafted Ruben Foster for, right? If he doesn't play a whole lot this season, it's not that big of a deal. We need Ruben Foster to be healthy and and ready to go and not have anything that could potentially cause him like long term problems um, in, in the years to come, right? That's why when we need him on the field, uh, it sucks for now, right? We talked about going into it like that, that he was one of those guys, you know, there was going to be a few guys on the team that even when things were bad and they're losing games that are still, uh, fun to watch and still have those kind of fun moments. And he had a couple of them in the limited time that he was out there in this one. Um, and so 11 snaps, I think is all it was. It was just 11 snaps and man, he was all over the place. He was great in space. He tackled McCaffrey I mean, it, that was the magic I wanted times, to see. Yeah, yeah. He, he caught him a couple times and he just he was so good and his reaction speed was so great. It was awesome to see him for the little bit that we were able to. Yeah, I mean, it's going to suck, uh, you know, watching watching them and not having him out there. But I mean, ultimately, yeah, he needs to kind of take it slow. And I mean, yeah, it's going to be at least a month. I think that's kind of the typical turnaround time there. There's no reason to expect him or rush him out there sooner than that. The other story in the rundown is another kind of quasi-injury-related story, but Aaron Lynch was a scratch against the Panthers, and initially we thought, okay, it was his back. He was listed on the injury report. But in today's press conference, Kyle Shanahan said that he was a healthy scratch, effectively, that he it was a coach's decision, and he could have played uh, had the team thought that they, that they wanted to play him. Instead, they chose to have more depth at the three-technique backup, and they had, you know, wanted to keep two outside linebackers, so Dakota Watson and Eli Harold. And Dakota Watson, while he did play some snaps at outside linebacker, is primarily a special teams player. So you think he's really not going to be inactive. So is is Lynch going to see the field at all, or is it going to be one of those things where he's one of the common inactives, which would honestly line up with the fact that he played a ton of snaps in the fourth preseason game? It would just be really weird because like the one thing in, and we're going to talk, you know, a bit about the defensive line when we get into the game recap. But, you know, this was something that we were worried about, um, you know, that they just weren't going to have enough guys on the edge to get pressure. Right. You have Elvis Humerville, who you're, you're hoping can kind of, um, you know, be some a veteran presence there and, and kind of man that Dwight Freeney esque role and still be able to be effective as a rusher in limited snaps. But you don't really have anybody else, you know, on the edge that's that's really proven to be able to get after the passer there. And, and Aaron Lynch was kind of as close 
to that as they had in, uh, you know, whenever he was healthy and, and kind of playing at his best, he, he's been really good in that role. So uh, considering the value that that type of player has, you know, if, if you have a, an, an effective edge rusher, like that does a lot for your defense. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a little surprising. Uh, it, it's, it's strange considering, I think, you know, the positive stuff that we've seen, the, you know, the way that he played in the preseason, he looked, it, it didn't look to be a situation where he's out of, uh, out of shape again. Right. So yeah, I think it's, it's surprising best shape of his life, man, best, best shape of his life. Um, yeah, it's weird. Um, I, I think you want to see him out there. Like, I think if he's out there and, and playing well, they're a much better defense for it. What's interesting or not what's interesting, but I think part of the rationale might be that the team thinks it can get what it gets from Lynch from Doomerville or Thomas or Armstead. And I think maybe the calculus is that they're not getting a unique skill set from from Lynch. And yet you may have to give up something else like Watson on special teams or uh, DJ Jones at a backup three technique or a backup nose tackle or something like that. So I think basically they're looking at opportunity costs. I think hopefully by the end of the year, he will see more and more of the field because I do think he's talented enough to rush the passer in spot plays, especially on obvious passing downs. And I do think that he can, he can be someone who helps the defense out over the course of the year. Yeah. And I think in this game in particular, right against the Panthers, a team that does, uh, you know, run the ball a little bit more that they'll get into, you know, bigger personnel groupings a little bit more than your average team. And so you expect going in to have your base defense uh, on the field a little bit more than normal. Um, so because of that, yeah, I think as far as if it was like a game plan specific thing makes a little bit more sense to have, you know, that extra man on the interior as opposed to on the edge. When you start playing teams, though, that are going to be, you know, in three wide receiver sets all game. Um, and you're not going to have your base defense out there. I think that's a situation where I definitely would like to see Lynch active over, you know, one of those backup interior players. So that's the rundown for this week. And, and now we're going to move into the game recap. And since this is the first game recap, the first official game recap of this regular season, a quick reminder on how it is that we recap the games for the 49ers. First, we're going to break down things that we think are really our big takeaways for the game. These could be player focused. They could be uh, schematics, as Jim Tomsula would say. But generally, we try and highlight some things that we think are critical and or important from the game in general that we take away. Then we're going to provide a spotlight player. And we're going to tend to focus on spotlight players in the positive because it's going to be really easy to identify a lot of negative plays and players from this team this year. <coughs> Same Beatles. But... <laughs> We want, to, we want to highlight players that we think are either performing very, very well or especially given the future of what this team is going to look like can really produce next year and the year after when we're hopefully making deep playoff runs. So we're going to break down the game in things we think. We're going to provide a spotlight player and definitely we will continue to highlight any schematic curiosities that we indeed see. So first off, in things we think, let's talk about the the big elephant in the room um, or the turnstile in the room, as it may be. And that's the performance of the offensive line. And I think the takeaway of the thing that we think is, quite frankly, they are who we thought they were. Yeah, absolutely. I think this was the the entire reason why. I mean, OK, maybe not the entire reason, but this was the bulk, major reason, the bulk of the reason that we didn't expect and, and weren't as optimistic about this offense. Right. Um, is because when you have problems on the offensive line, even if you're better at the skill positions, even if you're, you know, you think you're better at quarterback, like all of that stuff, uh, it doesn't matter if it doesn't matter if your quarterback doesn't have time to throw. It doesn't matter if you can't run the ball because you're just getting penetration in the middle of your offensive line snap after snap. Um, and, and so these guys, you know, they've been a problem. They haven't played well for an extended stretch. There was Really no one up there, you know, I don't know, maybe Kilgore, you think, okay, you expect him to be solid, but he's not going to be, uh, you know, enough of a presence there to kind of pull everything together on the He's interior. no Alex Mack. Right. And and so, yeah, you had uh, players that weren't very good, especially at guard, um, that I think there were some people that maybe bought into, like, some preseason stuff, like, oh, the starting offensive line didn't allow a pressure. Is that going to translate? Like, no, it's not going to translate. Uh, <laughs> it's, of course it's not. It was, it was, uh, it was insane to think that that would translate. Um, and so we saw that that was the case, right? That these guys are exactly who we expected them to be. They're not good football players. Um, and this is going to be something that is a problem, um, you know, probably week after week. 
Now, someone might say, okay, but this is Kwan Short. This is one of the better interior defensive linemen in, in the NFL. And I would say, yes, sir, you are right. Uh, or ma'am, who knows? It, it, but how this, Zane Beadle still ended up being graded the worst guard in all of week one based on Pro Football Focus's uh, evaluation. I mean, it wasn't just like, oh, it knocked you down a peg. It was like, you basically were abysmal. You were abhorrent. And so when you see maybe a league average interior defensive lineman, Zane Beals maybe gets up to like below average. Like that's, that <laughs> might be his ceiling is below average. And yeah, I mean, probably not. Like, I mean, he was, uh, he's, he's been one of the worst graded guards, uh, you know, at PFF for the last couple of years. And, and I mean, it doesn't have, you don't have to like know a lot about offensive line play to like watch this guy play football and realize that like what's happening when he's involved is not good. No, it's not like it's, a great thing. The, the best uh, is when he just kind of sticks his hand out and then Kwan Short just blows right by him. And it looks like, you know, when you're playing like a Nintendo game, like an old school SNES game and it just freezes and you're like, ah, oh, shit, I got I got to take the cartridge out. I got to blow in it and I got to put it back and I've lost all my progress. That's basically Zane Beatles is like he just freezes and he gets stuck and you're like, all right, we got to like unplug real quick, <laughs> blow in the cartridge put that shit back and now all of a sudden it's second down and 15 like that this is this is the zane beatles experience it is awful it's terrible i mean it's really bad it it hurts uh it hurts watching him play every week um and that it, fullback dive on fourth down so I, I and i tweeted this during during the game as well but i think all of the going forward on fourth downs were exactly the right decision i love those decisions you you have to like what the hell are you going to lose by punting, right? This is what we got you lost mad at. by twenty points. You got to go for it. You, like yeah. you need all the opportunities to score you can get. Exactly, you know? and sure, one of the first times they went for it, I think it was still zero zero. But I think the second fourth down they went for was a fullback dive, and it could have worked. And Kyle Shanahan in the post game presser was like, "Yeah, it's a fullback dive. You get those." But the reason they didn't get it was because Zane Beatles is terrible. Like that's the only reason he got blown up, <laughs> and he and, and he hit the and and then Kwan Short hits the fullback, and game over. That's it. Like that, that's, that's all that happened. And that it's one play and one player. And that's what it is. And if we pick up that first down, who knows what happens, right? Like it's, it's, it's a game of inches or beetles. <laughs> it's just, it's so funny too. Um, you know, that like, I don't know that there are like pro beetles people out there. Um, I think there, I hope not. I hope there's not any, like I've missed them if, if they're you're, out there. You're mispronouncing incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, but it's it's just like funny that this idea of him like, oh, he played three positions like, you know, he's the versatility helps. Like, does it matter if he's terrible at all of them? Like, <laughs> uh, I give me the guy that's like decent at one position and can't play the other ones as opposed to the guy that's just an absolute nightmare no matter where you stick him. Yeah, it's, it's so now Fusco, who's the, the right guard, he's not far behind his rating based on pro football focus. His charting was 41, still firmly mm. below average. Not good. Still from these are, these are grades that are normalized out of 100, right? They, yeah. they're, they're not it's not like 41 out of 50. So, yeah, your your basic tiers are like anything below 60 is uh, or anything below 50 is poor. Anything below 60 is below average. No, no, no I was right the first time. Below 60 is poor. 60s is uh, below average. 70s is average. 80s good. 90s elite. Right. Yeah. It's kind of your basic uh breakdown there so and you don't get like grades like 23.1 you know which was Beatles like that that's not a thing that happens very often like unless you're coached by Tom Campbell <laughs> yeah I think they got a couple of them uh it, but it's just like such a I mean even Beatles probably won't be like that bad I would hope no um, I think Beatles will probably end um, the year somewhere near like 48 47 yeah, which is like, right in line with where he's been before both those players I mean the, the the large point is like this isn't a new thing right like uh they they have been bad they've graded very poorly they've you know allowed a lot of pressures you know however whatever measure you want to use for offensive linemen um, they've been bad at it for an extended period of time. And, and uh, that's just kind of like the life that they're going to have to deal with. And it's going to make it tough. I guess, yeah, pulling it back into like why this matters and why we keep harping on it. It's just because it's it's going to impact how good the rest of this offense can be and, and the, the type of, uh, you know, steps forward that they can take and, and the way that they're going to be able to move the ball. Even if you like some of the other pieces that they've brought in offensively, uh, it's going to be held back by those guys in the middle. Now, Kilgore played a little bit better game. He His deficiency was mostly in the run game, but he does have a tough assignment, and centers in this scheme do have a tough assignment, especially in the run game. There have been a lot of really awesome articles written last year about the Alex Mack and how he helped propel the Falcons' offense 
based on what he could do in the run game and some of the really difficult blocks that he had to make. We'll link to this article in the show's rundown on Niners Nation. So if you are getting the podcast that way, then you'll you'll see it in the article. If not, you can jump over to Niners Nation and, and see some of the resources there. But you ask the center to do a lot. And Kilgore was asked to do a lot against some really, really talented players. And it, it didn't turn out too well, which is why you know you had some run success early on. But you couldn't sustain that over the course of a game. And especially when you end up being down, you know, two scores, three scores, all of a sudden you go into pass first mode and things begin to fall apart. So the interior of the offensive line, they are who we thought they were. They are effectively Dennis Green. But the other thing that we were watching in this game and the other thing that we think is really the defensive line, right? This was going to be a strength of the team. And so really we were trying to figure out whether or not that was going to be the case and generally, the results were positive with Upspeak. Yeah, there, there. It, it wasn't. I mean, it's not the offensive line, so that's like a good start. Uh, I, I, <laughs> now, remind me to ask you a question when we're done with this segment, real quick. Uh, okay, um, but I, I think so. You know, starting out, one of the things that we expected from this defensive line was that we were going to see a, a heavier rotation. Right, there was going to be no more of uh, DeForest Buckner playing. 100% of the snaps, you know, 95% uh, plus of the snaps every single week. And and we got that. So we had, you know, eight defensive linemen play total. Um, and their their snap percentage ranged from 21%, which was Xavier Cooper, up to 79% for Buckner. So I think that's a much more manageable total for him. Like even that, you know, probably I think over the season maybe ends up being a little on the high side. I think you'd like to see that, you know, maybe in the low 70s or, or so, get a get extra couple snaps um, off the field and that's just going to allow him um you know to to play at a higher level when he is on the field so uh and and i think you had you know kind of looking at the top down right you had the guys that we pretty much expected uh the three first round picks played the most snaps right of course those are the guys that we want to see on the field um and then in this one because again you know carolina being uh, a more run focused team heavier personnel packages than your typical team um, you did see a lot more base defense, which meant a lot more Earl Mitchell. So he was also on the field. He was the fourth player uh, that that played over half of the snaps. But yeah, it was a, it was a pretty healthy rotation, and you see those guys moving in and out. Um, and I think you know, especially in Buckner's case, I mean, Buckner had a pretty pretty dominant game um, and and looked really really good when he was out there. And so that's going to be our first spotlight player of the year is going to be DeForest Buckner because he was a force along the interior. He lined up primarily at the three technique and he was disruptive both in the run game and in the pass game. He had pretty much all of the pressures. Like if there was a pressure, <laughs> it was DeForest Buckner, except for one pressure that I think was Elvis Dumervilles like that. that And that's yeah. pretty much it. I mean, he was the entire reason that we were able to uh, to force Cam Newton into some missed opportunities. And one of them was a pretty big miss. Like there was a, a, a wide open wide receiver running. And the only reason Cam Newton had to come off the spot was because DeForest Buckner was in his face right away. So DeForest Buckner is, I think we said in the preseason that he might be the, the single best player the 49ers have. And if this game was any indication, that's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, this was, you know, what you, you would hope um, from him is, is to be able to go out there. Um, you know, he's playing less so he can kind of, you know, have more of an impact on a snap to snap basis when he's out there. And yeah, he was, I think it was really impressive to me in the run game, especially like that was where he really stuck out the most. Um, you know, you mentioned the impact he had getting pressures wasn't, you know, wasn't there that I think, you know, I, I think we'll see better games from him in, in that respect, I'll say. Um, but he was very good in the run game, I thought, um, and is just kind of, he's disruptive there. And I think, uh, this is a game, you know, looking ahead to Seattle a little bit where you're, you're seeing the guards that they have and it might be, you know, one of the only guard pairings that's as bad or worse than what the 49ers are trotting out there. So, uh, you know, you're you're excited about what he might be able to do against an offensive line like that next week. Yeah, he had four run stops. His 13% run stop puts him at fifth among interior defenders with at least 18 run snaps in week one. So he was top five in terms of run stuffs, and that's exactly what you need out of that position, and that's exactly what we were hoping for. So DeForest Buckner is the first better rivals player uh, or spotlight player based on his dominance on the inside but let's get to the guy who was drafted before DeForest Buckner and that's Eric Armstead uh how'd uh how'd a good old Eric Armstead do because now he's healthy he's playing a position that kind of fits him sometimes maybe um but not really <laughs> so <laughs> let's uh you know and any of course there were a lot of people especially in the preseason who were like 
you know, oh, they, they saw that PFF stat that was like, oh, look, Eric Armstead has like a, a PRP, a, a pass rush productivity rating of like 16 or whatever, which puts him really, really high, you know, like top five. Uh, what happened this game to Eric Armstead? He's not doing the same things that he was doing when he got those numbers. Um, I mean, I think that's really what it comes down to. He, he is very much currently an edge player. Um, he's not even getting a ton of snaps rotating the interior. Um, you know, so he played 51 snaps total, uh, this week, 43 of them were outside of the tackle as an edge defender. Um, and that's right now where they, they kind of plan on keeping him. Um, and, and I think we saw the good of that. I think he was, uh, definitely better against the run in this game than he was rushing the passer. And, and there were some plays, uh, you know, where he looked really good in that regard. And, and you can see, uh, definitely the appeal of having him out there as a run defender, right. And be able to take on tackles and tight ends, uh, and, and really have an impact on the, you know, kind of setting that edge there. So, uh, and as in, you see him also, he's kind of mixing up, you know, whether he's on the strong side of the weak side, you know, they're continuing to mix their fronts in, in between over and under, and you're seeing him on both the strong and weak side of the formation. And there, there those snaps where he gets to be, uh, you know, lined up over a tight end that are, that are really fun. You know, he gets to be kind of that C gap defender, uh, essentially. And he does really well in that role. So I think, um, you know, good, good in some respects, but I mean, the pass rush really isn't there for him on the edge. Um, and I don't really expect that to, to change a whole lot. His, his move out there isn't really a move. It's oh. the, I'm going to run into you and try to toss you aside. Like it, it, there's not really a lot to it. You don't see him. You know, he's not a guy that's going to bend that's, the edge. He's not, that's not entirely true. Power. That's not entirely true. He does have one other move. <laughs> Oh, God, I almost forgot. He, the other uh, move, which is this kind of, he tries to rip. And and basically, if if as a defender, if you're trying to rip through the offensive lineman, you're basically kind of, it's almost, it almost looks like an uppercut, right? Like you're trying to rip your arm through that guy, but it's mostly to get around them. Like you want to get, a, you want to get their arms out of, out of your way. When Eric, I tweeted out uh, a, a video of this earlier today. When Eric Armstead does it, it almost looks like he's just punching the gut of the offensive lineman. He did it a couple times where it's just like, Tiger uppercut, like, poof, right in the gut. There was one, so, like, one of them, you're like, okay, that was, uh, that was definitely a rip, and it just didn't go to plan. The other one, like, looked, I mean, it was like, <laughs> this is more of a punch. I don't know what he's trying to do there other than, like, punch this punch dude right dude. in the gut. Like, yeah. uh, and I'm just like, is, I don't know what's happening. Is that against the rules? It's gotta be, right? Like, I don't think uh, so, because, I mean, you can punch, I, th- I like, think you probably, I think that probably falls under, like, if you catch, like, an intentional thing, and it's, like, uh, unsportsmanlike conduct is probably man, what that, know. that falls under, that's, I would guess. That's a hell of a move, though. That's, uh, that's, that's the next level right there. Like, I'm gonna psych this, I'm just gonna punch him, but I'm gonna make it look like a rip. It's like the, it's like a more fucked up version of, like, that move in basketball when the dude goes up for the jumper and you poke him in the stomach, like, type of thing. Like, <laughs> Oh, I was uh, thinking of uh, Necessary Roughness where the, like, the karate guy just beats the shit out of everyone on the line. And it's like, he, like, you know, judo chops a guy, throat punches another dude, kicks one guy, like, reverse roundhouses <laughs> another dude. And then the referee goes out and he's like, uh, unsportsmanlike conduct, judo kick to the throat. <laughs> one inch punch to the yeah, like it's just funny and then you, at the end the refs is like ah oh, fuck it first down like it's, <laughs> which uh, again you still have not seen necessary roughness yet no so you is, don't know what i'm talking exact, about i have no clue i mean all it right. sounds pretty funny all right we're, um, gonna, we're gonna have to fix this soon <laughs> i've been saying that for two months but armstead yeah i think um you know as they continue to play him in that role and i and i would expect that he gets a little bit more time on the inside again once they're playing teams that uh you know are a little bit more pass heavy and are spreading things out a little bit more he'll get uh, a little bit more time there, but, um, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him as a pass rusher, you know, on the outside. And if he sees, if he's somebody that is going to be able to progress as the season goes along, or, um, if, if it really becomes a situation where this is a misuse of his skill set because of how much better he is as an interior rusher compared to, um, you know, being stuck out there in space. So Solomon Thomas then is the other person that we wanted to take a look at on the defensive line because, of course, he's the third overall pick. He is someone who was much touted when he was drafted, and we expected good things out of him. He dominated a couple of games in the preseason, and we were really wondering if that was going to translate to week one against the Carolina Panthers. And he didn't have a terrible game. He actually had a pretty good game, and he flashed at times, especially in the run game. He just didn't have a solid game rushing the passer. And that's what you would hope out of Solomon Thomas, especially when he's playing on that weak side in the traditional Leo spot. 
So, I mean, he was aligned, another person who was aligned primarily on the edge. 30 of his 43 snaps were aligned on the edge. He had 13 on the interior, but he had zero pressures and zero run stops. That doesn't mean, though, that he didn't make an impact on certain plays. Yeah, he'll have, um, I mean, he'll have better games. But yeah, he he definitely had had some moments um, that you see. I, I mean, the, one of the things that we really loved about him, you know, uh, watching the college tape was, you know, the get off that you see on the line of scrimmage, right? There's kind of that explosiveness right off the ball. And you see those things. You see a lot of those those same traits that are still there. I think he's just, I mean, he's still a rookie, right? He's still going to be figuring things out. Um, he is adjusting, I think, a little bit more to, to playing more on the outside um, where he was, you know, at Stanford, mostly an interior guy and only kind of went out to the edge uh, in, in, in these kind of rare occasions. So um, I think there's there's definitely some adjustment that's going on there. And I think he's going to continue to get better because, you know, you see you see the flashes, right? You see like the little bits um, that are there. But yeah, there you, there were some plays where you like in the run game where you would like to see him, you know, just show maybe a little bit more refined technique. Like there was a play in particular um, where he was on the edge and they, they were running a counter play his direction. So he's uh, unblocked by guys on, on his side of the line of scrimmage. And then you got a puller coming across. that's going to kick him out. And you really want to see those guys go with what's called a wrong arm technique, which is I'm going to take rather than, than use my inside shoulder and just kind of hit that guy. That makes it really easy for the offensive lineman to just kind of kick me out and open that hole up uh, for the running back you want to see him use his outside shoulder actually and kind of get on the inside of that pulling guard um, so that he can get into the run lane and be able to disrupt that and, and uh, you know, kind of just screws everything up if you can do it effectively because usually you have a second puller that's coming behind. All of a sudden, he can't get up to his guy, which is going to be usually a linebacker. Uh, so it just kind of blows up that whole play if you can do something like that effectively. And uh, it just wasn't there, right? He didn't really attempt to do it, got kicked out pretty easily, opened up a lane for the back to go through. So there's things like that that he definitely needs to improve on. Um, but yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, he's a rookie playing in his first game uh, that, that actually counts. Um, and he's going to have better days for sure. You know, the two plays that I noticed that I think were emblematic of Solomon Thomas's, I, I think, play in this game. One was on a pass rush where he gets stonewalled. But man, did he just like flail all over the place. He just looked like he was like he was uncontrolled in his pass rush. His movements were not tight. It looked like he was flailing. And, and that's generally not what you want to see your defensive lineman do. And, and that, I think, is, is the, the low side or the bad end of, of his high motor, right? It's like, I'm always going, blah. He's, he's a high motor. He went to Stanford. He's a high motor dude. Uh, it brings his lunch pail. Yeah. You know, brings his lunch pail. Lunch pail player. Just like Trent Taylor did when he uh, got lined up in there as a tight end. Like, yeah, man, go get you a cutoff block in there, right? He did. He lunch did. pail. Hey, he was the only one who made the block on uh, the the outside pass to Carlos Hyde on at the uh, at the like the two yard line or whatever. Of course he did because you, you know he's scrappy. Yeah, he's <laughs> uh, just you know he's really coachable. He is coachable. Um, high motor. Yeah, yeah. That's, I just can't get past the high motor bit because he's little and white. Uh, Solomon Thomas decidedly less white. But <laughs> uh, but the other play though was a play that I also tweeted out earlier today, and it's one where. He is actually lined up at the, the interior and he just completely tosses this poor offensive lineman. Uh, and I think it was Matt Khalil that he tosses. And then he takes on the pulling guard and is able to basically take two offensive linemen out of the play as one dude. And then DeForest Buckner does what DeForest Buckner does, ends up you know making the tackle. And, and it's not a stop per se that he caused, but it was a run for a very, very little gain because he was able to take away two players by himself. So he is making his impact felt. It may not be on the stat sheet. And I do think that the stat sheet impact will happen sooner rather than later as the games progress. Yeah. And they're, you know, obviously as we saw in this one, they're, they're, they're not going to let something like that, like take snaps away from him. Right. They, they obviously believe in him. They're going to, he's going to get the time. He's going to get the opportunity to develop. And, and I think we see him get better. Um, I know question. What was the other question that I'm supposed to have you ask me? Oh yeah. Who's the, who's the Zane Beatles of the defensive line? Uh, thankfully I don't know that we have one that like quite, uh, fits. Um, I would say, I mean, I don't know. It feels mean to, to call Xavier Cooper that right away. He actually had a pretty decent game in, in, in his limited time. Um, you know, being the new guy and stuff, I don't know as much about him as, as I was going to say, you're either going to say Xavier Cooper um, or you're going to say Tank Carradine because you hate Tank Carradine. 
Tane Carradine was fine in this game um, for what I, he is. I, yeah, uh, he, he, hey, he was a borderline elite six technique. Borderline elite. Yeah, it's it, it's I'm sure it's really nice, you know, Robert getting Sala. to go against uh, dudes that are 60 pounds lighter and don't block as well. So uh, <laughs> I, I think, it, you know, getting moving him and getting him to line up over tight ends as opposed to having to deal with offensive linemen on the inside has really helped him out in the run game. Like, I thought he did a good job. There was a, there was a play where he so was. So did a, I. I'm not saying that he did. I'm not saying that he did bad. <laughs> Let me like this is here's my thing, right? Like I, I don't. I don't care enough about like these. I don't know these these people. Like uh, I, I don't like hold grudges against these players. Like either they're they're bad or they're good, and and I try to like pick out what they do. And if they're good, I'm gonna say that they're good, even if it's a player that I'm not a big fan of, like Tank Carradine. He was good in the run game in this game. Like I'm I'm not trying to like uh, sugarcoat that. I'm just saying that like it's a different fit from what he was doing before. This seems to be a better fit. Uh, he's got a little bit of an easier job compared to what he was asked to do before. And and that's it. And it's working out well. Like, this is a good thing. This is a, a good example of of finding what a player does well, unlike what they're doing with Eric Armstead and, and uh, you know, allowing him to do that thing. I think this is the first time in history that I've ever heard someone say, I'm not trying to sugarcoat a compliment. Like, <laughs> a positive thing. Like, he did good. I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. <laughs> like, he... <laughs> Dude's been bad. Um, like there. The, oh man. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, I've not been a believer. We're going on what year four of Tank Carradine, yeah, and he hasn't been good year. for three years. Like, yeah. uh, I'm sorry, I don't give a shit anymore about what you did at Florida State. Like that, that doesn't matter anymore. Um, you've been a bad NFL football player. You look better now. Like props. Like hopefully this continues. Like a good Tank Carradine makes this a better team, right? We need more good players. We do need more good players. So I guess Xavier Cooper gets the unfortunate designation of being the Zane. You know what? Uh, Maybe this will be unpopular uh, for sure. I'm sure this will probably go as well as trying to say that Brian Hoyer wasn't throwing to a guy that hit him, you know, that he hit right in the hands. Um, Oh, God. The the old good one debate. But I think... uh, if I had to to pick one without picking on, you know, the new guy that I don't know as much about, I would say Earl Mitchell, actually. Uh, um, Earl Mitchell's, like, not that good. Um, he's fine. He hasn't been very good. Uh, I He's he's a borderline, like, liability at times in the run game. Um, he, gets, he gets moved in the run game. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Uh, he's, he's been a better, he came to a really poor situation for him. He's, he's historically been a much better pass rusher than a run defender. And he came to a team that is loaded with, uh, you know, first round prospects that are interior pass rushers, right? Like that, that's what they do best. And he's just not as good at them as that, is that sublime that that degree of precision when they were doing that in San Francisco from 20, I guess, uh, 12 through 20, uh, that 2011 2012 we drafted hey, hey, we drafted all that in 2011 yeah rookie we? in 2011 yeah. yeah 2011 2012 and then you know drugs and alcohol don't do drugs kids uh, <laughs> and then and then the end of us having fun as 49ers fans basically again. yeah we had three uh, peak years and that was about it but the when you when you think about the types of players that are required to run that you usually have a big guy who can eat up some space whether it be by holding or by power uh, in justin smith and then you have an outside edge defender who can convert speed to power so you get a full head of steam and he loads up and basically explodes right through a poor unsuspecting guard or goes right through a vacated hole because you've got a tackle holding and creating a gap and and now you're trying to do that with armstead and with buckner and you've got armstead trying to loop around and explode through a hole and the problem with armstead is that he's got a lot of power he just has no speed because he's not the same kind of, of player that you would expect on the edge. And so you end up with what looks like a literal clusterfuck. Yeah, it's it's just people just mashing up against each other. And there was literally one play where Armstead tries to loop around and ends up like basically spooning Buckner. <laughs> like it's it's not a tackle and stunt. It's a spoon. And, I mean, and, and Armstead called Big Spoon. <laughs> I, I mean, it was more even like dry hump than spoon. Like they, they weren't cuddling. Like it was aggressive. Uh, you know, there were maybe lines that were crossed. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, he's a, a, a giant of man. Like, and he's not LeBron James, who's like maybe the only person. LeBron James is as big as he is. When I watch him play, I'm like, oh, yeah, that dude's like 6'3", 210. 
what? Are you kidding me? Like no. when he was like in eighth grade? Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like he, he doesn't, moves. He moves. Oh, okay. But, I was like, he doesn't look anything no. like that. Like he looks like huge. And then no, you but just he's see like him run. Six six, and he's like two fifty. Oh, he's like six nine, and uh. try like two seventy five. The, uh. the dude is is not. Uh, it shouldn't be real. Yeah. Like. He's something that is like created in a movie um, yeah. that's never real. That's never going to happen. Like you shouldn't. Make so basically, he's like Russian. Um, Eric Armstead, not that. He's uh, maybe a freak uh, for his size. Like I think he's a very good athlete for his size. It's just not um, you know the athlete that I think you typically see there. And uh, yeah, it was it was strange to see. Like I don't. Uh, I'm I'm not like wholly against giving that a shot. You know, I think you have two talented players there. They may, maybe they need to work some timing out a little bit and. Um, you know, kind of figure that stuff out and that'll get better as the season goes on. But uh, it was it was weird. It was a little weird to see, um, you know, them trying to run that uh, that particular stunt with those two. All right. So look for that next week. Look to see if we're going to have the uh, the old spoon stunt uh, spoon stunt. That is difficult to say because of all the S's. I went to a speech therapist as a child. Don't ask questions. So the the other thing that we wanted to talk about in things we think before we get to the next segment is the defensive secondary. Because there were a lot of throws and a lot of yardage left on the table by Cam Newton. And one of the things that they ran with a high degree of success were vertical routes that challenged the safety and put our deep coverage into conflict. And honestly, if I were the Carolina Panthers, this is exactly what I would do. You've got Jaquaski Tart and Lorenzo Jerome alternating at free safety. These are players that have never played that role in the NFL before. And they're both fairly, fairly young players, one of which is an undrafted free agent out of a school that hasn't had an NFL player since like 1952 or some shit like that. Um, I mean, basically Eisenhower is when we're talking here. (laughs) So, yeah, Carolina tried to do that very thing and they exploited it with a very, very specific type of formation. They exploited it with a trips formation with, you know, a kind of closed wide receiver on the other side. And they would run vertical routes. They would run, you know, smash on one side with a crosser. They would do various things. But the long and the short of it is that they sent multiple receivers deep to confuse the coverage and or put the safety in conflict. And Tart and Jerome did not exactly respond well. Yeah, so the way that you attack that coverage, right, the way that you attack cover three um, primarily is, is you're you're trying to hit those seams, right? You're trying to... Uh, send guys to both seams and um, basically challenge that free safety, right? And you want to uh, put him in conflict and make him have to pick a side and then kind of throw to the other side. Um, and and so there are a number of things that you want to be able to do defensively to try to limit, you know, the the, the success of those type of routes. And, and we were not seeing that yet from this defense. And so I think one, you see, you know, like you mentioned with Tart and Jerome not being, I think, totally comfortable playing uh, in that role right now. And, and there were snaps where you could see, uh, and, they, and they both had these, they both had um, snaps where essentially guys were running free deep, uh, you know, in, into the secondary there, and Cam just missed them, whether he missed them with the actual throw uh, like he did to, uh, I think that was at Dixon uh, yeah, at the end Dixon. zone. Um, or, you know, just not being able to not seeing the receiver come open and not even making the attempt. Um, but there, there were guys like that were running free, just like that first touchdown, essentially there, there were multiple plays like that throughout the game, um, that could have made that, you know, even made this game even uglier very early on. Um, and, and this was something, um, that they're going to continue to see. I mean, this isn't new you know, cover three isn't some, what the Seahawks are doing isn't some like mind-blowing revolutionary defense that's all of a sudden going to come in here and 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 transform you know these players like it, it's a very basic cover three is like the most basic coverage that you have out there it's it's probably the most prominent coverage throughout all levels of football you know down to the high school level high the cover three is what like my crappy tiny high school you know in nevada ran when when we were in high school like that that's what you run that's kind of like the standard um as far as like base coverages go and so teams know how to beat this, right? There, it, it's not a, a a secret. You know how to attack this coverage, and what makes Seattle so effective, and what makes it good for them, is they do a lot of little things really well, and and they have some tweaks to it, um, you know, that that help them out. But they have very good players, right? Good, you win on defense with good players. Ultimately, like the scheme is more about, um, you know, keeping things simple, having enough there to have answers to what the offense is doing and then putting your guys in position to succeed. But you need the players there. And I think right now 
in the secondary, while, you know, there are some talented pieces there that we hope, you know, can develop and be, uh, become good players for us in the future. Um, it, they're not there yet. And, and this is still a secondary that's going to have problems unless they fix a, you know, a few things to, to, to kind of limit the effectiveness of those seam routes. Ultimately, the free safety is responsible for the area between the numbers and about 18 to 20 yards deep and beyond. And when you look at some of the plays on film that Tart was just uncomfortable covering and Jerome looked frozen on a couple of them, it oftentimes had to do with a wide receiver running clear through that area, but the, the Tart and Jerome kind of got frozen by someone else that they noticed, or in some cases, they completely just flowed to the wrong side. When, when you think of the structure of the defense, those edges should be covered by someone else. In a true single high defense, those edges should be covered by a sinking corner or something else that's going on. And, and the safety has got to be able to split kind of these two receivers that are putting him in conflict and then have the speed and the range to be able to make a decision once the quarterback does and get there in time to either prevent the reception altogether or limit the yards after the catch. And that's what you're not seeing from these two safeties. You're not seeing them play smarter, kind of kind of try and split the difference and then flow and go. You're seeing them going, oh, crap, oh, crap, oh, crap. They're, they're thinking too much. They're just thinking too much because this is all brand new. And especially on defense, when you're thinking, you're not using your athleticism. And, and that means that you're a, a step behind. And when you're a step behind, even someone is, you know, slow or fast as Ed Dixon, you know, that's that's still plenty fast. It's still plenty fast to get him into the end zone. Yeah, I mean, you can't ask a guy to cover, you know, 40 yards, you know, fields 53 yards wide. You can't ask him to cover like 40 of those yards. You know, yeah. it's it's not uh, a, a realistic thing to expect. And they do need to more, you know, it, while those safeties had plays that were were bad and that were on them, oh. um, they need to do more to help them out as well. The and that really comes, yeah, with with your your curl flat players. So if you remember... Um, you know, from when, when we're talking about scheme month, you have in, in this cover three defense, uh, a curl flat player to each side. So this is usually going to be like, uh, your, your strong safety, your Eric Reed on one side, and then kind of, uh, the linebacker to the opposite side there. These players are responsible when you have a slot receiver to your side of the formation and they're trying to run vertically right up into the seam. Um, they need to reroute. They can't let them have a free run into that seam or that safety's screwed. Like if you, if you get two guys running up the seam with, with free releases and aren't hindered in any way trying to get there, like that safety's not doing it. Like Earl Thomas is going to struggle to, to, to cover that ground if that's what you're giving him. So they need to do more there. There, there was, uh, you know, basically like the attempts to reroute were non-existent and, and guys were just like, I saw, running. I saw one very weak reroute attempt by Navarro. You know, you really want to, there's, uh, there's some great videos out there if, if you're really interested in, in kind of, uh, you know, more details as to how that all works from Nick Saban and, uh, you know, from a coaching clinic. And he talks about how you need to get them out of that, you know, the seam you usually refer to as like, I think like two, three, four yards wide, essentially you need to get them out of that so that they have to bend back in. And, and hopefully that throws your timing off enough that either a uh, it's too late for the quarterback to be able to throw that pass because you have pressure coming um, or B it gives your safety a little bit more time to react because by the time that player gets back into the seam, he's deeper down the field. And so he's closer to your free safety. Uh, that's going to allow him, give him a better chance to be able to make a play on that sort of pass. So that's, those are all the things we think. From this week's game, we, we covered a lot. We covered the interior of the offensive line. We are who we thought they were. Talked about the defensive line still being the strength of the team. And I think there's probably been a lot of criticism this week in, in the media headlines, some of which is warranted when it comes to the pass rush, but definitely not a complete picture because they did play the run fairly well. And then lastly, definitely going to be curious... <clears throat> And then lastly, definitely going to be curious to see how the safety play ends up hurting or helping this defense over the course of the year because it this is the position that makes this defense go. And, and I think one of my favorite stats from the Ringer podcast when they were talking about Earl Thomas's injury is when Earl Thomas was a part of Seattle's defense, the average quarterback rating for deep passes was Ryan Fitzpatrick level. And then once he was injured the average passer rating for deep passes was better than Tom Brady level. 
that's the disparity of passer rating on deep passes that a middle that that a deep safety can create in this type of defense. And right now, we're definitely hovering around the better than Tom Brady area. Is <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying. Uh, it was, and this was, I mean, uh, this was a problem obviously in a different scheme for them last year. But the Niners had, uh, I believe, it was either the worst or the second worst. Um, passer rating allowed on you know those deep throws on on throws of 20 plus yards so and and we know that we're again while a different scheme bringing back pretty much all of the all of the same players you know all the starters in the secondary were on the team a year ago um and so this is something that they've kind of struggled to Kwan do. Williams uh, questionable whether or not he's a starter but yeah well I mean yeah, yeah I call him a starter but yeah I, I think your 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 safeties are your outside corners are that that are typically going to be more responsible for the deep passes um and so yeah it's going to be something to monitor i mean uh it would be nice to see what jimmy ward's going to do there i mean again he still is an unknown um but i think there's more reason for optimism with him because uh one the skill set that you saw when he was doing other things seems to like it would translate well and two he's done this before like he was uh you know this this kind of single high free safety in college um so he has experience doing that you know this was something that he said is like you know, it, it may be new for everybody else, but it, like I've done this before, you know, um, what was kind of one of his uh, comments during training camp there. So, well, in, in week 12, when he comes back from <laughs> his I, hamstring I, injury, I, I hope not, I hope uh, you know, bad. after it turns out that he actually tore his hamstring off the bone uh, twice because, you know, because this is the thing, right? Like, it, again, it doesn't really matter for this year. They're going to they're not going to all of a sudden be good because Jimmy Ward comes back. Um, you know, they could be better, but you want to see is he like the is he good there right yep. is he somebody that we need to now re-sign and keep around because he's going to be the free safety that we want to have on this defense but you can't or is know he that not? but can't yeah, know that like, if he doesn't have a hamstring in, injury and uh having a hamstring is, right. is definitely complicated i guess if if uh if we've got a zane Beatles on defense which was questionable uh we definitely have a bruce ellington on defense uh and that's gonna be one Mr. Ward at this point. Yeah. I mean, because he's been injured a couple times now. This isn't his first injury. Um, And it's not his first soft tissue injury as well. So, you know, it's definitely a worry. It's a concern at this point, full blown. And and hopefully he gets right soon. So that wraps up the things we think for the, the Carolina game. And it wraps up our spotlight players as well. So we're going to move into our next and final segment, which is what to watch in the game against Seattle. These are basically going to be just two or three things that we're going to be looking for as we watch the game because there are going to be games inside of the game. There are going to be larger kind of storylines that we're going to watch, things that we think are interesting that may turn the game or maybe something that uh, are just things that are are fun to watch because maybe destroying some Seattle guards is going to be fun. Who knows? (laughs) Uh, And so we're going to try and limit them to two or three, but we're usually going to point out a couple things that we'll be watching and then have a prediction for the game. Uh, and that about wraps it up. So let's talk about what to watch for Seattle. And I think for me, the big thing is is exactly that. And that's going to be our defensive line pressure against the Seattle Seahawks because they gave up uh, a lot of pressures against a Green Bay defense that might be good. Like their defensive line might be good, but I don't know if they're that good. I didn't get to watch that game. So, yeah, I don't I, I don't know. Um, There's OK. This is all you need to know. There is there is literally a picture, a non Photoshop picture of Russell Wilson with three Green Bay Packers around him in what looks like a pocket. <laughs> and all of the Seattle defender and all of the Seattle see this is I'm already confusing and all the Seattle offensive linemen looking at Russell Wilson like oh, oh shit. shit. <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's uh, bad. It's literally bad. Yeah, I mean they're not good. Uh they, the, the this offensive line um is probably on the whole worse because at least the Niners have Joe Staley on one side. Trent Brown's pretty good most of the time. And um, all name team Gary Gilliam. Uh, uh, Gary Gilliam. He's uh, yeah, exactly. But uh, hey, man, he would be an upgrade in Seattle. I mean, apparently not because they cut his ass. So hey, man. Uh, I it's yeah. I mean, Buckner. So Buckner plays you know uh, pretty pretty even splits in terms of you know left right. So the, the, because of the way the Four ers set up, you know they they set up to strength and weakness rather than like left right uh, type of thing. So he's going to see time uh, to both sides of the line. He's going to be able to go against both these guards, and uh, it's it's probably going to be ugly. And um, then you've got Doomerville versus Effetti. Um I'm wondering if they're going to fight. 
Apparently, if Eddie just gets into everyone's face during training camp, had a bunch of fights. And Doomerville should be able to get on the field a little bit more in this one. I mean, uh, Seattle's very heavy 11 personnel. That's which, right. They're uh, a three-wide team. Yeah, should mean more um, nickel out there on, on defense for the 49ers, which should mean more Doomerville. He only had, I believe, 16 snaps in this last game. Um, but yeah, being used, I mean, I think exactly how we thought he was going to, we didn't really touch on him during, you know, kind of that defensive line rotation bit, but, uh, yeah, he is a guy that they don't want him out there on run snaps. You know, if, if, if they could find a way to magically get him, uh, you know, a hundred percent pass snaps, I'm sure that they would do that. They're not going to get quite that lucky. Um, but he only had three run snaps in this game. So, uh, yeah, he should see the field a little bit more there and hopefully he can, uh, be the player that they need off the edge. All right, so I'm going to ask this question in two different spots. First spot, will we obtain more or less pressures than Jacksonville got against Houston? So for those that, for those that didn't watch the game, Jacksonville played Houston in a professional football contest, and only one of the teams came to play, uh, and that was Jacksonville <laughs> of all teams. Uh, and they had 31 pressures against the Houston Texans, and that's a lot. That is like a, a holy shit. Is that correct? Like, is that a, a typo? Do we have some sort of like? Calais Campbell uh, had five sacks on the game. I think they were four in the first half. I mean, it was uh, it was bad. So my question is, given the state of the Seattle Seahawks offensive line and given that our strength is, de- is a defensive line, are we going to have more or less than 31 total pressures against Seattle? Much less. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I would I would probably still take the under if you flip those numbers around and made it 13. Uh, <laughs> I, I would I would still be like, eh, probably not. Um, I mean, hopefully shit. I mean, I would love to see, um, you know, so Buckner so far, I think, has been, um, you know, during his rookie season and then obviously into week one has been has been very good um, and has been mostly the player that that I think we'd expect. And he's been very good in a lot of subtle ways. Right. Like, I, I don't know how much, you know, the, the casual fan is really paying attention to for, to DeForest Buckner and seeing what he's doing there. Um, I, I really am ready for him to have this kind of breakout, like, wow, everybody that, that watches this knows that DeForest Buckner was a monster in this game, um, to have some kind of splash plays and really kind of stand out. Um, so that would be great. I, I, I think, you know, this is, is certainly an opportunity uh, when it comes to caliber of competition, you know, for him to make that sort of impact. You got to dominate for your competition, man. That's what you do. Yeah. So I I would really love to see, you know, that sort of performance out there where he just really, really stands out, makes some big plays um, and and kind of establishes, you know, what we we expect him to be. And what's funny is that I, I think teams know that he is as good as he is because he was getting a lot of double teams against Carolina. I mean, he was getting a lot of attention. Yeah, they're sliding his direction for sure. Yeah. So you see when when you look at those protections and you see where the center goes, you know, a lot of times teams, you know, may go to where the A-gap player is. So uh, which yep. would be opposite of uh, DeForest Buckner. So usually towards like Mitchell or whoever's playing knows because that player's lined right over the center, right? So you not against the, the Niners. They left a couple people just yeah, solo. Gonna... There was like, you know what? You go one on one. We're going to go ahead and handle Buckner. Like yeah, they're that, going to. And, and that's also, I mean, this is, again, where you would really like to have a, a dominant edge rusher to yep. kind of go to that opposite side, right? So now all of a sudden, if you uh, slide protect towards Buckner, and, and so that means you're moving basically everything Three from players. the guard, right? So if we pretend that the, uh, the, the Buckner's on the offense's right side, so they're sliding to the right, everybody from the left guard over is making that slide because the guard now needs to pick up the A-gap player. And that leaves that left tackle one on one, one. right? So maybe, I mean, unless in, in, you know, you're basically either forcing them to, to help with a backfield player, you know, to chip with a back or something like that. But, um, you know, that is, is a good thing for the defense in its own way, uh, at times. So yeah, I mean, having somebody that, that can be on the edge is just as important. You know, we like what these guys bring to the table that they have there on the interior and, and that can really disrupt things. But it, you need to balance it out, and and that's going to be where you know you really have trouble blocking these guys because the protection scheme is just kind of um, screwed. So the second thing we'll be watching is going to be the vertical routes, especially against these new safeties that seem a little tentative in their deep coverage. Seattle is incredibly adept at throwing vertical routes. I mean, this is what Russell Wilson does. It, it's a little bit like Chuck and Duck, but really accurate. Mostly because, but not, he's just ducking because people are in his face and he's throwing it all like really deep. Like this, this, you could describe that offense that way. But 
ultimately, you've got receivers like Paul Richardson and Tyler Lockett that, that they're fast. These are fast wide receivers that are going to be attacking the safeties for San Francisco, and they're going to be at the clink in Seattle. We've seen Russell Wilson complete these types of passes before against better defenses, and now you're going to have a tentative safety, and this is a defense that is, or this is an offense rather, that is used to going against this defense. I mean, you have to remember that Pete Carroll knows this defense inside and out. He I mean, knows its weaknesses. He knows it better than than we do. Oh, he knows uh, it better obviously. than we, he knows yeah. it better than anyone who's going to be on that field, including Robert Sala. Like this is going to be, uh, it could be an area where if we don't get pressure on Russell Wilson, that he's going to be able to pick it apart, and I think he's going to be able to pick it apart with some vertical routes. I'm I'm predicting a wheel route completion at least. Yeah, I would I would say actually uh, the other thing too, just to kind of like add on to that even is so not only the, the like challenging the safety in the way that we talked about a lot, um, you know that the Carolina did, but you also want to see. I mean, these cornerbacks, right? In in Robinson and Johnson, there. If you think about what Seattle does so well and what Richard Sherman does so well, it's it's take away. I mean, Richard Sherman basically eliminates vertical routes up the sideline. I mean, it just, they're just almost never completed. Um, you know, the completion percentage, the passer rating, trying to throw that route to his side is just absurdly low. Um, that's what you're looking for out of the, right. That's kind of the standard for corners in the scheme is you need to be able to take that away. You're going to give up some things underneath at times. Um, because you know, you're, you may, you're playing off or, or whatever it is, but you need to be able to take that route away. And so, um, we know again, yeah, that Russell Wilson uh, has has no fear of throwing the deep ball. That he's going to be able to challenge those guys, and so I want to see them. You know, if they take shots down the sideline, I want to see how these corners respond and, and whether they can hold their own and, and be able to kind of protect that deep third. Uh, it, it, because if not, I mean, it's uh, it's going to be kind of a nightmare because it means it's going to be big plays that they're going to worry about all year long. So finally, one of the things that we're going to be looking for is whether or not Lake and Tomlinson will indeed provide relief for this offensive line. So a couple of questions here is, A, do you think now that Lake and Tomlinson has enough under his belt to go ahead and play? Or do you think that he's going to be on the bench or inactive again? I don't know, it can't be worse. Like uh, Apparently, the, the team is asking him to do things he's never done before, like play guard or something. Uh, cool. Apparently, they're asking that of Zane Beatles too. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't just, know, man. Just tap the leg, bro. Just uh, tap the leg. I, I mean, it's again. I think that's really what it is. Like in a normal situation, like no, you probably it's not ideal to have like a, a guy that's been on your team for two and what, a half two weeks. weeks. Yeah, and and come in start and start his start. first game at CenturyLink with that noise, and it's gonna be loud. I mean, he would be bad. Uh, so, like, if he comes in, he's like almost certainly not going to be good, um, just yeah. because of yeah the the circumstances, um, and also like he just may not be a good player as well. Yeah, um, La- last but- year his pro football focus grade was forty three point nine, and that was playing at right guard at spots because he lost his starting gig. His rookie year, he played at left guard, and his rating was forty nine, right in line with everyone else. We're talking like I mean like Kilgore Fusco Beatles really is just it, it's consistent. Really know how to pick these guards. Uh, That's, I mean, like, I'm hoping, you know, obviously, when we talked about that, we mentioned this before, uh, they they couldn't, you know, Lynch and um, and Shanahan couldn't address everything at once. And, you know, offensive line uh, and guard in particular just happened to be a position that, you know, couldn't get addressed this offseason. And so it is what it is. Uh, I hope that they clean house uh, at this spot because if they, for some reason, talk themselves into keeping like any of these dudes again um it's it's gonna it's gonna make you wonder like okay is this gonna be like is guard gonna be their bulky's wide receiver or something like that right where they just like can't it's the figure out like what's gonna happen at this position and can't get quality players there yeah um so yeah i think uh that's that's where they're at at guard right now is that is like is tomlinson gonna come in there and be good almost certainly not but can he be worse than zane beatles like no um, so why not give it a shot? All right. So here's the question then. Same question, different spot. Are we going to allow over or under 31 pressures against Seattle's defensive line? Um, their like potential four man line uh, in sub packages um, of like Bennett and Richardson and Averill and Clark is terrifying, um, especially considering that in order to get that number of pressures, you have to have opportunity to do so. We are going to provide plenty of opportunity because, as you saw against Carolina, you can only sustain the run game for so long before you have to go in a throw-only mode. Yeah. 
And and once you get down to three scores in the middle of the third quarter, you're gonna go into throw only mode, and you're gonna right give them out. Yeah, you're you're gonna give them lots of opportunities to get in. So, thirty one pressures over or under. Uh, I mean, we could only throw the ball thirty times, and I think I might take the over just because. Uh, I mean, it's not gonna happen. They're not gonna thirty one pressures is so absurd. Um, All right, so flip it thirteen. Ooh, over. Over 13? Over 13 pressures. Okay. Yeah, definitely. All um, right. I, I'm thinking that kind of mid-teen, they might even, they might, they might flirt with 20, you know, or something like that. If they got to throw, if they throw the ball like 40, 45 times or something like that, they'll, they'll flirt with 20. So let's talk a little bit about the offense because this is probably, this is outside of the offensive line. This has been a defensive heavy podcast, but the, the offense by and large was exactly what we thought it would be. You've had, you've got Brian Hoyer who played serviceably well you've had mark you predicted it marquis goodwin dropped a pass and and that's exactly who uh he has been so far in his career and pierre garçon balled out and that's what he does because he's going to catch everything around him and he you know he's the he's the fantasy guy on the 49ers yeah turns out that like being good in actual games is better than like doing well in training practices camp. um yeah i mean right N- not that anybody questioned Pierre Garçon or thought that he was going to be bad or something like that, right? But obviously he wasn't getting attention. You know, seeing everything was about Marquis Goodwin. He's so fast. Did you know he's got like Olympic level speed? It's on the drinking um, game, man. It's officially on the drinking. We had to revise it because we forgot. And so we had to add it and to the drinking and, game. And the thing that like makes it even, like, even worse is like he seems like an awesome dude, right? You see those like brick by brick episodes, right? And he's like, man, Marquis Goodwin is fun. Like he seems like an awesome dude. I really want him to do well. Um, but it's, it's like, there's more to playing wide receiver than, than running fast, unfortunately. And, and he has been inconsistent in those other elements. You know, he's going to get a greater chance. Like that's one thing that really stood out. And, you know, we talked a lot about the, the D line rotation and whatnot. The rotation of receiver was like not a road. I mean, it was Garcon and Goodwin and everybody else was yeah. very, very clearly below. I mean, Trent Taylor came in with the third most snaps, but it was like half the number, um, that those two got. So, uh, those are, you, are going to are be you the peeling, guys. Are you peeling back off of your Trent Taylor's going to catch 50 balls prediction based on his rotation in game one? No, because eventually, you know, when Marquise Goodwin can't catch passes, they got to throw to somebody. So, um, I mean, they're going to get out there. They're, I, I have a feeling uh, that we're going to see more 11. They didn't run 11 personnel a whole no. hell of a lot in this game. Um, I mean, they're going to have to. Again, they're going to be down. Uh, they're going to be playing from behind. Yeah. They're going to have to throw the ball. He's going to have to be out there. I mean, you can't trot out like you know two tight end sets every time when you're down by 20 points like it just you can't do it so what's your overall prediction then for this game against seattle the spread at bovada is 14 points so i i don't think that we should spend too much time on straight ups because if it were me i would pick against the niners straight up every game and i would be right way more often than i was wrong yep so let's just go ahead and pick against the spread what do you think uh, is going to happen? Do you think the Niners cover 14, or do you think that it is uh, going to be a little closer? I don't. On the road, yeah, in Seattle uh, is just recipe for blowout. Like, I agree. Um, I mean, you, you hope that it's just, I mean, they've had some bad, bad games in Seattle, like over the last couple of years. And uh, you hope that it's not, you know, like that level bad. Like you're you're looking for some sort of improvement, right? That they can keep it close for a little bit longer, or that, um, you know, you see some signs, but it's just, it's going to be tough. I mean, Seattle's got far more talent They're You know, they're, they're a much better team, obviously. And, um, they're at home where they play incredibly well and it's going to be bad. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's not going to be a, a super entertaining game to watch. Yeah. I think this is going to be another, you know, two, three score game. Definitely at least two. I think that Seattle covers. So it, it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, if it were at home, I would say maybe. If we had Reuben Foster, I would yeah. say maybe, I mean, maybe. Four, a fourteen point spread's a lot. It's a like, lot. Nor, it's normally one that you would like never want to to take, you know, the favorite in. But it's like, I mean, you really think it's going to be like less than fourteen points? Like, I don't, probably not. Like, I just can't. Uh, I would be, I would be very, very surprised. Like, there, I think so far uh, with the way that things have gone, that there haven't been a lot of surprises, right? Um, I, they managed to kind of keep things close in Seattle. That would be a very big surprise. Well, that about does it for this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals podcast. 
Definitely leave us a review on iTunes if you're listening to us that way. It helps other people find the podcast. Uh, and it makes sure that people know they're listening to uh, good stuff. If you don't like it, just don't listen. Don't leave reviews. Yeah. Them's the rules. Stop listening. Yeah. I mean, download. Continue to download. <laughs> like, just forget to unsubscribe. Like, that's fine. You don't have to listen. Don't do the review thing. Yeah. It's whatever. Uh, definitely follow us on Twitter's David where can they follow you uh, it's going to be at Newman NFL indeed you can follow me at Better Rivals where you can see all the film clips that we tweet out you can also follow us during game day because we or at least I will be tweeting out all manner of things on game day I will not yeah I should I've had a few people ask me this um, I should probably go ahead and throw this out there I will basically never be tweeting during the game because David's working um, on game day I will likely like most weeks probably not watch the game until Tuesday um, so that's, it, it is what it is. Schedule is what it is. Um, so yeah, you're not going to see a lot from me on Sundays. Absolutely. So thanks again for tuning in. Thanks again for listening to week one's episode here of the better rivals podcast. We'll come at you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. And as always go Niners. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening. <laughs>